So good morning. It's my pleasure to now introduce Emerita Professor Heather Fering. Heather Fering, Emerita Professor in the School of Education in the Design and Social Context College of RMIT, has held many academic and leadership positions over her career. She's been Bachelor of Education Coordinator in the School of Education, Director of Higher Degree by Research in the Design and Social Context College at RMIT University, Associate Professor of Assessment and Learning and the Deputy Head, Research and Innovation. She's also lectured in literacy courses across a range of programs. Her teaching excellence has been acknowledged by 10 teaching awards, including a Carrick Citation for Outstanding Contribution to Student Learning, culminating in the RMIT VCE Distinguished Teaching Award. Heather was the first female to receive this prestigious award at RMIT University. Heather's presentation is going to be recorded and will be made available on our podcast channel for anyone to listen to. You'll be sent a link after the conference and we thank Heather for allowing us to share her presentation with a wider audience. So please join me in welcoming Dr Heather Fairing to our keynote address, Literacy Communities Empowering Each Other. She's been looking at my website. <laughs> I'm going to take it down. No, I don't have a website. I didn't know I was so clever until somebody reads out my CV from somewhere or other. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'm actually very, very pleased uh, to be here with you at the SLAB conference because, as Susan said, uh, this has been going on for quite a while and so seeing it to come to fruition uh, is, is just fantastic. If you have any questions, please ask, because there's nothing worse than sitting there and wanting, if she'd only said that in the first place, I would have understood what she's talking about. So if you have a question, please just ask. Uh, my, my title that Susan uh, graciously bestowed upon me was Literacy Communities Empowering Each Other. So I'm going to talk about the influence of literacy communities that you all belong to in one way or another, uh, and how they can empower us to be better and better at learning environments. I'm only going to cover five points because I'm the keynote and I don't have to say very much, I just have to say something powerful. But however, since I've been here this morning, everybody I met knows all, all the things that I'm going to say. So <laughs> I hope that at least one of the five things is new to you and if the other four things uh, are not new, then you've learned something, so who knows. Now, I'm going to start with the premise that librarians, libraries, are more than books. And telling you that, you already know that. But I think it's good to remember that libraries are more than books. They are fabulous, fabulous places to go to uh, and use and have resources and staff like yourself. So, and I'm also starting from the premise that we are all, all libraries and library staff are educators. So you are the library community, the literacy communities, you're all educators in different ways. 
Library staff is educating in one way, teachers are educators in another way, parents are educated is another way, and so are the children, are the students that you work with. You are all educators. So therefore, as a literacy community participants, we can empower each other by sharing networks and resources, which I am absolutely positive from Susan and Kim, who I've just met, but she reminds me of my first vice principal. How fantastic. I didn't mean you were that old, darling. I mean <laughs> that experience, that wonderful, that wonderful. You know those teachers that you remember and the staff that you remember through your life? I remember my first vice principal. So there are many excellent organisations and resources which we can use to facilitate to empower us. So we're going to start here. Empowerment through networking connections. And my advice uh, was talk about the literacy associations which you know about, Heather, because there'll be other people here today that will be talking about other things that you want to know about. So I'm going to first concentrate on a few samples of key literacy associations concerned with literacy and providing excellent resources to all of us. And then I'll discuss how these connections, how these can empower us to be better educators. The first one, the first one is the Australian Literacy Educators Association. Now this is an organisation I'm very familiar with because I've been a member for over 30 years. I've also been the ALIA Victorian Treasurer for two national conferences in Melbourne. And uh, for ALIA members, some of you may already be ALIA members, Australian Literacy Educators Association, Others of you may have a school subscription, which is an excellent thing to do. Uh, these, these are excellent, this is an excellent organisation for lots of reasons. One, it has three journals, and it has three journals, a primary literacy journal, the literacy learning is, it tends to be secondary oriented, and then it has a research journal. So as an individual member, you get all of them. They, uh, Literacy, the research journal has gone online, so when you're a member you just get access to the online, but the other two ones are posted to you. Uh, so it has excellent resources like this uh, that are just, um, well, as you would know, they're just fabulous resources for you to have. And ALIA also does a lot of professional development. So we have PD events at the national level and at the state level and at the local council level in each state and territory. So we run um, the magazines, the journals, and then all of this PD. Now the PD, which is where you will find invaluable because if you join as an individual member, you can go. But if you join as a school, a school can have up to about 20 people go uh, who are eligible to go to any of these events. So I strongly advise you to talk to your principal or your vice principal or your finance officer and say, does our school belong to ALIA? And is it worth, I think the institutional membership is about $450, but if 5 or 10 or 15 of you can go to various PD events, it is well worth it. And when you go to uh, PD events together, you are sharing, you're learning new knowledge, uh, you take it back to your colleagues. So this is one of the organisations which does that. And I was going to show you a journal, but I gave them away uh, to some people when they first came in. But anyway, you can see the journals there for yourselves. The second one, oh, that's, that's one of the big PDs that ALIA is running. It's a national conference. Uh, this year it's in Queensland. So uh, as a member, you get 
discounted rates to go to it if you want to. I don't know what the rates are for an institutional membership, but I'm sure if you're going, you'll find out now, and you might get there cheaper. The second one I want to talk about is the Primary English Teachers Association. This is also a fabulous, fabulous organisation for resources and PD events. Uh, Peter, Primary English Teachers Association, uh, publishes books throughout the year. You can buy them through Peter. Uh, as a member, you get a free book. When I say free, it's part of your membership every year. Uh, this is their latest one, uh, teaching the language of teaching the language of climate science. Uh, it's just only come out to members this year. So, and I noticed that the uh, um, the man at the back over there, who uh, is one of the guest speakers later on, has got fabulous climate change uh, books over there. And this is how to run and look at language within science classes within a climate change topic, if your teachers are doing that. And to go with it, and I'm sorry this is so small, but the Peter has produced, it's three pages, but you can get, download them and put them on A3, three pages of books that are related to climate change topics. So as library staff, if you are, teacher comes to you and says, we're going to do a topic on climate change, these people have already done a lot of the groundwork for you and here, bingo, you've got books for teachers, librarians, library staff, and more importantly, for the children. So they do a wonderful, wonderful show. Uh, and as I said, they've just celebrated the release of this book and they did a webinar of it with two of these lovely ladies who are terrific. Uh, so as a teacher librarian or the library staff as you are, um, this is just a wonderful asset for you. And as I said, the list of books. And Peter also has individual membership and institutional membership. So I can't uh, really strongly advise enough, ask your principal, do we belong? Because it allows you to get maximum uh, effect, bang for your buck, I think is what they say. This is one of uh, Peter's professional learning events this year. And if you went onto their website, you would see multiple of these. But this is a more extended PD if you were interested in EALD area and wanted to know more about it and what resources are available, but they run heaps of other things. Oh, uh, Peter, Peter actually tailor their workshops for your school. So um, it, it can suit the needs of individual teachers uh, or students. It, it can just be a staff or community participation, community of schools. Uh, it runs a variety of formats, staff meetings, so you can have a half a day presentation if you wanted, workshops, full day presentations, full day professional development, and it also presents their PD in different modes. So you can log in and, or clock in or register to face-to-face -face online. You can do one of these more extended professional learning development courses. It has hybrid courses available, and as I said, it produces wonderful resources as as this little book here that I'm holding up. So I can't uh, urge strongly enough, Peter is a wonderful resource like Alia is. And I've got pages of examples which I'm not going to be show. Now, another one, ACME, you all know this one, the Australian Centre for the Moving Image, is yet another fantastic resource for you as library staff to have at the back of your brain or the forefront of your brain to say, what are they offering what, am I, what are the kids asking me when they come to the library? What are the teachers asking me? Uh, what do they want? This is a fabulous resource to keep uh, in the forefront of your mind to say what are they offering. 
um, ACME is just um, opening its new uh, games. It's just opened its new games lesson library and they've just launched their reopening of ACME down in Federation Square. I just got an invitation to the event, uh, which is uh, early in June. So their new, their new museum for screen culture. And as you know, you can go to ACME, you can take kids to ACME, uh, teachers can go to ACME, library staff can go to ACME, and you can do one of their workshops. It's always hands-on, it's always participatory, it's always interactive and they have fabulous staff down there, and I know Christine Evie very well, and she's a, a wonderful, wonderful person working at ACME, providing excellent PD and excellent resources for everybody, all educators. Uh, Australian Children's, uh, the Australian Children's uh, TV um, Foundation is yet another fantastic resource, and I can't speak highly enough for these. They really champion excellent, Australian uh, movies, videos, they, they champion kids coming in, teachers coming in and learning how to do things and, and their specialty, as you would hope and would expect, is that they uh, really reflect on inclusiveness, diversity, resilience, which is what we all need these days, and imagination through fun. So if you log into the uh, ACTF resource, you will find just an abundance of resources there that you might think, oh, that teacher's just asked me, or that kid's just asked me, I must talk to so-and-so and see if we could perhaps get the year six kids to go there to do a creation of their own film because they, they help kids create films when they go there. Now, just as an aside, because I'm not going to dwell on this one, I think this is the one that mucked up my PowerPoint because it, it has moving images because I pinched it off the uh, Akara site, Besides ALIA, Australian Literacy Education Association, besides PETA, Primary English Teaching Association, ACME and the ACT, ACTF, there are all sorts of other resources that I'm absolutely positive you already know and have clocked into. This is the Australian Curriculum Assessment and Reporting website. Now, uh, the um, ACARA put this one out on their website. The Australian Curriculum, as you would know, is really the mother and the father of all the curriculum, current curriculum documents in Australia. So the Victorian curriculum really was a, a, a birth, a birth from the Australian curriculum. Originally, a long time ago, and I was part of this, we all pushed strongly to have one Australian curriculum across Australia. Not that that meant that you had to teach everything on the same day in the same way and the same, through the same books or anything, but if we had a common element called the Australian curriculum, every library staff, every teacher, every school could adapt that to suit what their school was, what particular curriculum they were having. So if you were a set textbook, you would do it this way. If you were a free phonics person, you would do it another way. So uh, ACARA was the birth of all the others. So ACARA has resources that are fairly tuned towards the Australian curriculum. So if you go in there, remember that it is the Australian curriculum and the Victorian one is slightly different, but not all that much different. So it's still worth looking at for resources. Now this one you will be most familiar with and you'll be pleased to know that I'm nearly at the end of these organisations. Uh, VICA, uh, Victorian Curriculum and Assessment Authority, is the body that produces your curriculum F to 10. And you know that years 11 and 12 of the senior curriculum are 
although together with the, 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 are run separately because we're the senior user school and have a different master to jump to. But the Victorian Curriculum Assessment Site, the Victorian um, Curriculum and Assessment Authority, once again, is a wealth of information for resources and PD and activities specifically for you to choose, use and abuse. Hmm, I suppose I shouldn't say that since I'm on being taped, should I? You could choose and use uh, in your school with your curriculum and with your, your particular school spent, etc. Uh, and as I said, they run great PD. And of course, lucky but not last but not lucky, or lucky but not last, is DEET. Now, I'm not going to dwell on DEET because you have three people from DEET uh, talking to you later on. But DEET, there is so much valuable information on the DEET side, it is mind boggling, absolutely mind boggling. Sometimes when I'm doing consultancy work or a project overseas, I think, how can I help these people understand what we do? And I go into the literacy tool or the assessment tool or whatever, and I think it takes me three days to work my way through it and think, oh, what part can I use and what can't? It has a wealth of information about uh, curriculum here in Victoria. I always look at the literacy ones, of course, but it has fabulous, fabulous literacy tools on its site. So that's the Department of Education and Training. Uh, and as I said, these people are coming to talk to you later, so I won't dwell on it. Now, all of these organisations, just the six that I've briefly skirted over, and there are many more because of these publishers and uh, groups around here, there are many other resources like these people that you can tap into that you know only too well. But sometimes you think, oh, I didn't know that, I'll go and have a look. So that's why days like this are so wonderful. All of these organisations, I believe, can empower us as educators by providing access to excellent resources, by providing opportunities for us to create integrated, effective learning environments, by incorporating books, visual displays, as I noticed your uh, competition over here, visual displays in your libraries, digital resources, interactive sessions in your library with kids, parents and teachers. And by doing this, we pool our strengths and our ideas and that makes us be able to create, I believe, better learning environments. Now, how, how can literacy communities do this? How can they do it, as my, my brief has been given? Empowerment through knowledge. First, as not necessarily the most important, but I thought I'd start here, by keeping us up to date with knowledge about current and relevant resources, because the resources change over time. Uh, not so long ago, but Kim and I would remember it, there were topics in the curriculum that were, would, did an overkill, an overkill. Now, and I don't mean to be rude, we're doing a bit of an overkill on climate change. Everybody's doing climate change. But there are other topics and are other areas of the curriculum, as you would know only too well, that need equal, if not more, treatment in your school curriculum. So, keeping up to date with what is new, keeping up to date with a particular perspective or providing different perspectives is very, very important. So conferences like this SLAV conference where you'll be chatting all day to each other and you'll meet someone from another school and you'll say, gee, I must like to pop over there and see what Kim's doing. So conferences like this are, are invaluable. Webinars. I'm doing a webinar next week uh, for a teacher in Indonesia, would you believe? Oh, 
I'm terrified, absolutely terrified, because I don't speak Bahasi. And so this is going to be one of those prolonged webinars where I say something and then the translator translates and then someone asks a question and the translator translates the questions and then I answer and then the translator translates my answer. So I'm absolutely terrified because the lady who's asked me to do this said, I want you to make it really interactive, Heather. And I thought, oh my goodness, <laughs> how am I going to do this? But I am working on it, I am working on it. But anyway, conferences like this, webinars that you might plug into, uh, you, that I believe as library staff and as educators, that makes you more informed and that makes you more valuable to your teachers, your students and your parents in your school community. So being aware of these organisations and the material they offer, school communities such as yourself, can facilitate what we all, I think, many, many people like is inquiry-based learning as compared to direct instructions where you tell people what to do, like I'm doing now, you tell people what to do and they do it, direct instruction. Now there's a place for that, and not here today ladies and gentlemen, but inquiry-based learning where you are tantalising the intellect of your students, your teachers, your library staff, your principal. Uh, you are tantalising them with the creation of a learning environment where they are keen, where they are happy, where they enjoy it, where they can ask questions and where you become the facilitator of an educated environment. That's what we're all after. So I think these organisations help you with knowledge of how to do that uh, better uh, and that's why I strongly support the, the ones that I've already mentioned. So in addition, using the strength of collaborative learning involving PD and resources, library associations, we can share such knowledge and classroom practices with our colleagues in our schools, which I'm hoping and I'm sure you will do today. As I said, as library staff, you'll be able to mount uh, displays like this in, in your library, uh, forthcoming events on topics. Uh, and in addition, if you're more knowledgeable about what questions to ask, when a student inquires or requires your assistance and comes to ask you as the library staff member, if you're more knowledgeable, you will have better questions to ask. So, a uh, kid comes to ask you and you say, where might we find the most information about DVDs you can relate to Ned Kelly? Because there just happens to be some wonderful DVDs, some wonderful books about Ned Kelly and with different perspectives of them because I have to have to read some of these. So where might we find them is the question, not here is the book on Ned Kelly for you. So if you, if you are more knowledgeable, you'll feel more confident to do that. Whereas you won't feel, oh, I should know, I should know, because as teachers and as educators, we often feel we all should know the answers. But if you think, no, the question is, where might we do this so that you're stimulating the student's mind, that's the way to go. How might we find out about climate effects change? So where do we find it? Do we get it off the Channel 7 News? Do we get it off that young lady in Sweden, I think she's from? Do we get it off... Uh, that unmentionable Prime Minister, the President in America? I don't think so. So where might you find climate change, uh, information about climate change effects? What is the best resource for finding out about the winners of the Children's Book of the Year? Now you might think that's a pretty simple one, but where is the best source for finding that out? Now I believe Dick this morning is talking to you, isn't it, Kim, about the, Susan, about the uh, book? Yes, the, the book challenge. So where might kids look up? Where are the front runners? Who's voting? Who actually decides? Do the children vote? Do the teachers vote? Or is it just some small group 
uh, uh, locked away somewhere, experts in the field who wrote so that you, you might say, where can we find out the best resort for the children's book of the year? So when it's announced, and I know that you're probably already purchased or have in the process of purchasing all the shortlisted members for your library, you, you will be able to help your children by asking that question. Uh, who says it's important that we reduce greenhouse gas effects? Now, we're telling students this all the time, but who says it's important? So getting the knowledge of this person says it because of this reason, this person says it because of this reason, this person says it because of this reason, can be invaluable support to creation of that learning environment that I'm talking about. Uh, when is it important to introduce students into the purposeful use of digital technologies? Is it too late in year six? Of course it is. Is it too early in the foundation year? Tim, I hope you would say no, never, ever, never. It's always uh, early. But, but when is it important? You, as you, if you become knowledgeable in this field, you will know who to ask to find out this way for the foundation year students, but this way for the year six students. Uh, just add a, as an aside, uh, the uh, VCA, I saw the other day, I got an email, Leanne Compton from VCA, she's the Curriculum Manager for Design and Technologies, is going to be hosting a webinar soon, and this one tickled my fancy for two reasons. First of all, the webinar will focus on design and technologies curriculum featuring content from the materials and technologies and food specialisation. Leanne will unpack the Savoury Breakfast Muffins uh, unit of work published by VCAR and it's tied to the Melbourne Show. So the Melbourne Show must have uh, some activity which children, students, can <coughs> present at the Melbourne Show. Now there's going to be shows all around Victoria this year at last, but some of you may already be thinking about are we going to use the Melbourne Show, are we taking students there? So Leanne is offering you this opportunity to unpack savoury muffins. I've got no idea what that means. But I thought, what a great idea. VCA doing something practical, which they know that the library staff, educated communities in Victoria may well be using. And just as an aside, Leanne Compton is one of my PhD students. So I feel particularly pleased that uh, she's gone on to do great things. So learning through knowledge. Empowerment through knowledge is the first point. Next on my list of uh, how literacy communities can empower each other is by sharing. And almost everybody so far has mentioned sharing and that's another reason why you're here today. Now, Chris Topfer, I don't know whether... No, I didn't put her picture up because I wasn't sure whether I was allowed to. Chris Topfer uh, is a literacy consultant from uh, Tasmania. Now, the people that I'm going to um, isolate out today or tell you, they're only one of a huge variety of resources that you can tap into. But these two, in particular, I thought you would be familiar with. So Chris Topfer has done a couple of books on spelling, but she's a literacy consultant from Tasmania and gets wheeled out, as I do, on various occasions for particular topics. But she's very, very good on pushing whole school professional development. So she doesn't just point it at me and say, Heather, now I'm doing this for Alia next week, why don't you come along? She pushes whole school professional development because she said that if organisations like us push whole school professional development, then individuals will be sharing. They'll learn more, they'll talk to each other, they'll share more, and that's what it's all about. And the other one I'd like to suggest is Alan Wright, 
Now, he's a poet and an author here in Victoria. He's a fabulous bloke. He also is concerned about the power of breaking down the walls and fostering confidence through participation together. So sharing, once again. And believe it or not, I went to teachers' college with Alan Wright. But that might date me a little, mate. No, you're all too young to remember. Do you remember Alan Wright? Anyway, both of these people, both of these people push the power of sharing and the power of professional development through whole school communities. Now, next on my list, next on my list of how can we empower us to be better educators and our school communities, the next on my list is involvement. So, if you are involved in these organisations, and it doesn't mean you have to be the treasurer to run a national committee or you have to be the president, but if you were involved in these committees, uh, you will be invited to, uh, these organisations, you will become involved because you will get advice, you will get knowledge given to you, presented to you. You will be getting the emails of invitation to the national conferences, to local PDs at the school round the corner on spelling or phonics or uh, EALD, which is, they've run a few of those. And so as schools, the PD will empower you through sharing not only yourself, because you'll increase your own knowledge and your own confidence, but you go back to your school and you share it with your colleagues. So involvement has an empowerment, multiple empowerments uh, for all of us. The next one on my list is listening to others. And this one, believe it or not, last but no means the least, uh, how literacy communities can empower all of us through listening to each other. And Kim and I were just talking about this before. Uh, we were both grandparents and we were saying how important and how wonderful it is your first grandchild, and you actually listen to them. Because I've forgot to listen to my daughters anymore because they're old and grumpy. Uh, but when you meet that first real grandchild or your own children, when you listen to them, ah, oh, you learn so much and so different ways to react with students and that in turn to teachers, that in turn to library staff, that in turn to parents. So listening is a very, very, I believe, powerful uh, component of empowering us as uh, educators communities. So if you're listening to a student, if you're listening to a student, you may ask, uh, the teacher's doing the unit on climate change, so the teacher's come to you and said, I'm doing a, a unit on climate change, what have you got for me? But the kids come into the, your library and say, I'm really interested in this. Now, it might be a different angle to what the teacher main focus is. But if you're listening to the students, you can say, how can I help this student find the resources, ask the questions, work within the unit that the teacher has already worded me up on? So listening to kids uh, and asking them, ask them the questions. What are you interested in? What's your angle? How can I help you? How can I facilitate this? You might use perhaps that word. Now, if you are listening to parents, the parents may want to know does this library resource have any of David Attenborough's DVDs on climate change? Because, I mean, he is a um, he is fantastic. I don't know what we're going to do when David Attenborough leaves us. I really don't. He has been a giant, a giant in that field. So a parent might come to you and say, do you have those DVDs of David Attenborough? And you'll probably have already got ten of them in your library somewhere. 
So by sharing this and listening to what the parent is asking, you are facilitating this inquiry-based learning program. If a teacher, if you're listening to your teachers uh, and they're telling you they're doing a unit... I'm sorry, I'm pushing climate change, but this is just because it's Peter's new book and this wonderful little resource of all the books that you can look into, which I'm happy to provide for you. If you're listening to teachers and they're telling you they're doing climate change, you've got to say, what resources can this library build up, produce, buy in? What do I need to do? How can I support this unit on climate change that's going to come up in term two? How can I pre uh, support this unit on... Um, I'm not quite sure a unit on the Royal Melbourne um, uh, show. I don't, it might be on animals. It might be on, uh, I don't know, methane gas, for all I know. But how can I support the teachers who have already told me that they're doing this unit of work? So it might be digital resources. It might be some fabulous YouTube. Now, be very careful with YouTube. I'm not a YouTube person myself. But there are some good ones somewhere. But you've got to learn how to find them and how uh, to use them effectively. I'm not a... Um, uh, what are those um, things where you dance on your screen? Not Instagrams. What are they? TikTok. Oh, I'm not a TikTok person, right? So, not a TikTok person at all. But anyway, so videos, YouTubes, DVDs. What resources, as you as the library staff, can facilitate the development of this enriched learning environment and this inquiry-based learning environment? And you've got all of, all of the things. Uh, I don't know whether any of you know. You can tap into the NASA, the National Aeronautic <coughs> and Space Administration site. It has got fabulous resources uh, from the NASA site. You can tap into the BOM site. Does anybody know what the BOM site is? The Bureau of Meteorology here in uh, Australia. And the BOM has also broadened its scope instead of just the temperature from the last 100 years. BOM is another URL where you can tap into to help kids ask questions about what has changed, why has it changed, what has BOM got to offer us. So there are additional sites to the ones I've already mentioned that I think are valuable resources and they've already done the groundwork for you. Oh, I can see Susan's coming here to go cook at me. So, <laughs> as, the, as the library staff, uh, we all want to be not only prepared with books and journals and resources and YouTubes and videos and visual displays and digital images and interlinked links, you, you may forward plan in this with your teachers and your school community, as I said. Now, just to sum up, if you can see Susan right now, in summary, I believe that the literacy communities working together can empower each other and thus facilitate enhanced learning environments for students, teachers, parents and our whole school communities by this broader range of material that I've just briefly given you a little brief image of and I'm sure some of you will know them all, but there may be some new ones in there for you. So I do believe that these empower us to create better learning environments, inquiry-based learning inquiry be better at asking questions, to be better at facilitating a working environment from the library because it's more than books. So thank you. And so I'd like to thank Heather for giving us such a comprehensive overview of the various associations and resources um, which will improve the work that we do with our students and staff. And I think 
what she spoke about listening to people is vital. Like if we listen to our teachers and we listen to our students, um, we get a much better outcome because we're actually answering what they want instead of us telling them what to do. And our parents. And our parents too, yes. Sorry, I forgot that. So thank you so much, Heather. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. and it's my pleasure to, to introduce our next spe speakers. Unfortunately, Talia Campbell was not able to join us for the conference due to a clash of commitments, but she's been able to uh, arrange three other people for our presentation this morning. I would like to welcome Kerry Cook and Rosemary Vaux, who are with the Literacy Unit of the Learning and Teaching Division of the Department of Education and Training and, and, and Annette Wright from Brentwood Park Primary School. This team are going to update us on the literacy unit and particulars of the Premier's Reading Challenge. Welcome. Premier's Reading Challenge is a key Victorian government initiative to support children and young people's reading and highlight the importance of reading for literacy development. Sorry, I'll just move to the next slide. It was launched in 2005 to um, promote the importance of reading and to encourage families to be more involved with reading at home. In 2013, it was expanded to include young children from birth to five. The um, existing IT application was replaced by a brand new bespoke application at the beginning of 2020 because the um, previous version of the application had reached its end of life and was over 15 years old. Um, the average life of a software application is six to eight years, so we've really stretched things to the limit, um, keeping it going that long. 
In 2016, we did a review of the application to understand the needs and expectations of users and to identify any issues that um, our students or schools were experiencing and to highlight what improvements could be made to the program. Key findings of the review were that the Premier's Reading Challenge is valued by users. It encourages children to read regularly and that people were really keen to see an upgrade of the um, existing Premier's Reading Challenge IP application to reduce the administrative burden on schools using it. years, each year where the resources have been illustrated by a Victorian illustrator. This year's theme is Open Up a New World and this year the resources have been designed by illustrator Deb Hudson. As you can see there's, this is the early childhood resource, the primary resource and the secondary, so there's one for each sector. And there are some posters and bookmarks out on the shelf at the back. So take as many as you'd like, and if you'd like more resources, you can actually just send myself an email at readingchallenge@education.vic.gov.au, and I'll send you the link to the mail house where you can order more resources. There was a mail out in early March, sorry, late March this year, to all primary schools, secondary schools, all of all sectors, and early childhood centres and libraries with a sample of all the resources. That goes out early each year. Um, some of the key features of the new application are that it provides access to a library catalogue. So we link to SCIS, which um, a large percentage of schools in Victoria are using and it includes book images and blurbs about the books. It's got a much more modern and user-friendly interface which um, makes it a, a much easier experience for parents and um, students to use. Also links to the Cases 21 system for government schools which means that um, teachers who are participating no longer have to upload their students' names. They just flow in automatically from Cases 21 and they're updated nightly. Um, for independent and Catholic schools, um, coordinators are now able to upload um, the list of students in bulk. We used to have to do it very manually 30 students at a time, which was very time-consuming. So, the challenge is open to all schools of all sectors throughout Victoria and to all early childhood centres. And if a student is at a school that chooses not to participate or they're homeschooled, they can participate as a home-based reader through myself. 
and registering for the challenge, we've tried to make easier than ever. Now, if a school principal wants to set up the challenge, they can actually just email me their, who they'd like to be the coordinator at their school and between them, we can actually set up the school to participate, trying to make the whole registration process easier for all participants. We would, I would liaise directly with the coordinator to make, manage the whole registration process. Um, students can read books um, in any language um, in the um, new application. Um, it can also be adapted to suit the, um, different learning needs. So co coordinators are able to dial up or dial down the number of books that a, a student um, has to read as part of the challenge. So if you've got a highly able student, you can um, individualise it for that student and increase the number of books they read. There's now no longer um, any limit on the number of books students can add. So they, they can keep going even though the default is um, 20 books. Depending on the, depending on the year level, what, how many books they need to meet the challenge, they can still just keep adding as many books as they like. In the old application, they were limited to 100 books, which for some students, they needed a lot more. <laughs> and then others, if, if a particular student two books for them is okay to meet the challenge, it can be adapted so all students can meet the challenge to whatever ability they can do. Okay, I'll, I'm now going to give a demonstration of when a student logs in what they'll see. While we're getting set up, could we have a show of hands how many um, schools are actually participating in the challenge this year. And that's great. Good to see. So you've prob a lot of you have probably seen from a coordinator perspective. So a student, this is something that some students get tricked on. When they log in, not to EduPass, some government schools use EduPass, so their students would automatically log in using that. Majority of schools will use VPRC login. So that's what majority of students will use. And we are in the process of creating some how-to videos that should be available in the next coming weeks that you can actually, I can actually then send out to you to you can actually give to students to use because some vis visually like to learn that way. Now this is the screen a student will see when they log in. They have the navigation down the side, so the dashboard showing how many days are left of the challenge. These badges change as the students add books. The first one changes once they add their first finished book. Then two th one third in, they'll change to green, two thirds in, 
and the last bag will change once the books are verified. These show how many books they need to meet the challenge. So for the, this is a prep student, so prep to year two, they need to meet read 30 books to meet the challenge, 20 challenge books and 10 choice books. However, as a coordinator, you can change this. On the coordinator screen, there is an extra option here where you can dial up or dial down for an individual student. So you can make that 100 books or you can make that two books, you can make that all choice books, whatever to help that child meet the challenge. But the default is the same as it has been for the last 16 years. But for the prep to year two is 30 books and year three to year 10 is 15 books. So then it shows if the books is finished or verified. Now, as you can see here, the reading list, these books have already been added. So if we go down to search books here, you can search for any book. So this is a wildcard search, so you can search So you can search here and the book will come up. Then you can click on the book and it will give you details about the book, a description of the book, if there's any book reviews done on the book or any other details about the book. And then you can add the book and if you go back to the dashboard, that book will now be added. And the student then, once they've finished that book reading it, they can mark it as finished. And at that point, they have the option, it is optional, to give mark that book as a favourite. And, sorry, it's not coming up. Sorry. Home-based readers, this looks a bit different to what a school... Uh, student register with school would see because at this point they would be given the option to do a book review. But we can't actually have that option for a home-based reader because there is no one actually then to review the book review. <laughs> In a school, the book review, which is completed by a student, then is approved by their coordinator and then can actually be made public. So when a student looks at a book and there will be a book review down the bottom, it'll show what a particular student, their book review, which has the student's year level and school, but doesn't actually say their name. So at this, there would be an extra box here where the student could do a book review. But because he's a home-based reader, they can mark it as their favourite, give it a rating and mark it as finished book. One of the nice features of the new application is that there's an algorithm sitting behind um, the interface that starts um, learning what students like to read. So it'll start recommending books a little bit like um, the way Netflix works. And it also shows the student what books are trending. And they can either have a look and see what's trending across their school or trending across the, the state. So they're just down beneath their book list. So then, and they can actually then sort them to look at challenge, choice, finished, verified, and favourite books. Okay. 
The other things they can do in the profile details, they can change their avatar, so they can pick whichever one they like, and that changes their, their avatar when they log in. So you wouldn't seem to like that one. And there's a new option this year, previous challenge. So if a student completed a challenge last year, this will show up with the books they read last year and the option to download the certificate from last year. But they will only show up for students that met the challenge last year. And that will also, that's linked for government schools, because the, the student data comes in from Cases 21, it's all linked through Cases 21. For independent schools, the data is linked by the student's unique ID number when they're uploaded. And it, it becomes a nice virtual library of all the books they've read across the challenge. So if they, that they participate in the challenge from year to year, they've got that record of what they were reading way back in prep. Hand over to Annette. Close that one. No, that closed the whole thing. It's going to close the so whole Annette thing. So Annette Wright's going to come and talk to us about um, how she's running the Premier's Reading Challenge in her school. Oh. Our school doesn't look like that anymore. We just got a big grant to actually do it up, so it's a bit prettier than that now. But we're out in, in Berwick, in the um, southeastern suburbs. Um, when I started at the school in 2013, we had 387 students at the school. We now have 960-odd. <laughs> and I'm the librarian. <laughs> that's, that's exciting stuff. But I was very excited with this picture because it actually does show that we've got kids sitting out the front reading, so that makes me very happy. <laughs> okay, so I first got involved with the Premier's Reading Challenge well before I even became a librarian. Um, my eldest son was in prep in 2005. They weren't allowed to do it at the school he was at at that stage in prep. Or were they not? I don't know if even sure that preps were included at that stage. They were, they were from the beginning. They were from yeah. the beginning? Excellent. Our school was... <laughs> um, so 2006, he got involved and I was hooked. Um, and I'm not really sure why I was hooked, but I just could see such a great benefit of encouraging kids to read good quality literature. Although we have got those fairy realm books on there, I'm not really... <laughs> okay. Mostly it's good quality literature. <laughs> okay. So the implementation um, that, that we have at our school, I mean, look, I'm... I'm I'm the coordinator, obviously, probably most of you are coordinating it at your school or the literacy person at your school is coordinating it. And with this new program, after the old clunky one that was there, that we, we've, we've fought through. But you can imagine from, from my school, if we're building up that every year and every year I have to add all the new preps that are coming in from 387 to 960. When Kerry contacted me and said, Annette, you do a really good job on the Premier's Reading Challenge. Could you come in and talk to us about how we'd make it easier? I said... Yes. 
So, and, and here we are with this system that is so much easier to use. It's, it, I'm really thrilled that the teachers have more autonomy. Nowadays, they don't even, you know, the, a couple of years ago, they could add a book to the whole school. That was really good. Now they can't do that. They can only add books to the people that they are actually allocated, they have actually allocated. So their own classes. That makes my life a lot easier. It gives them more autonomy. They can actually see what the children are putting on themselves um, instead of having to come back to... They could do that beforehand, but it was a, a lot more difficult. But now they're just focused on their own class. They don't have to worry about the rest of the school. It's, it makes life so much easier for them and so much easier for us. And then to connect up with SKIS. So we have just about every book you could possibly imagine will come up either as a choice or challenge. So it's, it's making everything easier for the kids. They can see the pictures down... It's not there anymore. That's my school. They can see the picture down the bottom to um, work out which cover it is if they're struggling to work out the, the different languages and the... Um, Diary of the Wimpy Kids, the 12 different versions that they have, they go for the picture at the bottom. Again, it's making it so much more easier. So the maintaining the enthusiasm from, from our, my perspective. I initially give the kids at the start of the year the big spiel as we do in the library, you know, don't climb on the seats, please don't put the books on the floor, all that sort of thing. Plus, let's start on the Premier's Reading Challenge right now. Right now. Let's get a list of the books. We have to make sure they're this year's only not last year's. So if you put the whole series of Harry Potter on there, you're going to kind of know that you're not telling us the truth. So, and, and it's wonderful to get the, the, the teachers on board. I'm, I am very, very blessed at my school, I must admit, in that I have a principal who really encourages literacy. Um, our literacy rates in the school in southeastern suburbs have, have shot up at our school, um, which is fantastic. And it's not just Premier's Reading Challenge, obviously, but that supports it. And I think all of us as library educators, supporting the literacy, is, is that's what we're there for. So it's such a win-win situation with all the kids um, getting involved in, in reading along these lines and getting a certificate for something that they're going to have to do anyway and never underestimate the power of a good badge. Uh, and it's, it just seems to always be a win-win on this, this um, level. So promoting it within the school... Um, we do have a newsletter section. I put something into the newsletter every week. Um, it, it might not be anything more than just saying, congratulations to so-and-so from such level, such and such level um, who have actually completed the, the Premier's Challenge. Well done. Um, and it's surprising how quickly parents will pick up on that and suddenly they start to come into the library and say, oh, we need to have more of those books. And then you've got to very gently say, yes, that's great. They're all marked with a little label up here but we want your child to select them, not you. If you've got to go down to the local library, you can select them all there. So it's, so it's trying to involve the parents without letting the parents turn around and take over what the children's choices are is something that we probably... Well, I, I struggle with a little bit in the library. Um, possibly we all have that challenge of being very, very gently saying to them, step back. Uh, <laughs> but on we go with that. So in our school, again, the prep to twos... Or the teachers actually put the books on themselves and we give the parents their, their passwords. So that goes in the school-to-home newsletters. Um, if parents choose to put them on, that's fantastic, that's very exciting. Um, it often doesn't happen. From grades 3 to grade 6, they do it themselves. They're all digitally um, very competent. 
just probably a little bit more than myself, but um, they're all, all able to do all of that. And when they're coming up to borrow their books in their library time, just the, the simple fact of, oh, look at that, you've got a label, a PRC label on. Don't forget to put that on your list when you go back into the classroom. And the teachers will give them a little bit of time over lunch breaks or in, when they're finished to log those books on themselves. So again, we're giving those children the autonomy to actually make that challenge happen for themselves. So as I said, you know, the, the benefits, our literacy rates have... Um, obviously, we do other programs. We, we have the CAFE program, but by having the Premier's Reading Challenge supporting the CAFE program, they're getting two, stone, uh, two birds with one stone. The kids are feeling really fantastic because they've actually achieved something once again, and, and the teachers love it because their rates are going up exponentially at the moment. So getting the staff on board... Um, is, is never going to be an easy thing if you've got resistance. And that was my biggest problem when I started at this school. Um, the previous schools that I had worked on, we always had 100% participation. Um, and that was mainly me rah-rahing a lot and shaking the pom-poms. So when I came to this school, uh, it was kind of a little bit difficult. And it took a few times for me to go into the principal saying, why aren't we doing this? This seems to be a no-brainer. Why aren't, why aren't we involving everybody? So the first year um, that I was at the school, he eventually did turn around and say, no, I think we should be doing it, which was great. So evidently I sold it well enough. Um, we had probably, I think, 85% participation in our first year. It wasn't what I wanted, but we got there. And of that, I think about, oh, I think it was probably about another 85% of those ones actually completed it. So it was a starting. Now, from that year onwards until last year, um, we've had 100% participation and completion. And it was my choice last year. I probably could have pushed the borough really hard, but I just thought everybody had enough on their plate last year and I was going to step back and, and just let the COVID thing run and now we're back on track now and we're, we're doing great guns again with the amount of kids that have actually completed the challenge already. So I choose to mark... I know there's wonderful cyber sign stickers that you can get. I'm in a government primary school. We don't have a lot of funds for extra stickers, so I just put a label on them saying that it's PRC. Um, I don't think you could probably see too much in the pictures, but there is a, a little label at the top just up here that says PRC, and you can see them on the books, all of them. When we have the displays, we do have displays around um, at story time. You can see the, the teacher's chair is there. It's the magic reading chair, and we've got a little display at the back there, which we change on a weekly basis, and they're all Premier's Reading Challenge stories. So the teachers come in, they've immediately got a book there to read the kids this week and it's generally one that has been put onto the Premier's Reading Challenge just recently. So the ongoing encouragement that we have um, in the library is just, oh great, you've, you've, you've got that Premier's Reading Challenge book, make sure that you put that on or take a photo for the grade sixes because they've got their iPads there and they take a photo and make a, a folder. So as long as it sounds like they're doing lots of fun things on the iPads, they're all happy. There's your Premier's Reading Challenge one. Make sure you put that on next time you get a chance. And then, of course, we have prizes. You know, We can't do everything to stop our own back. Can we? we have to have some sort of rewards there. And as I say, never, never, never disqualify the, 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 um, <laughs> the ability of wearing a, a, a badge on your shirt. The kids absolutely love the badges, don't they? You know, it's just a badge. We are, but they wear it on their uniform. They're allowed to wear it on their uniform at our school and... It is kind of a bit of a status symbol, which I think is really exciting. <laughs> okay. So 
I, I make sure that there's a number of different um, opportunities for the students to challenge themselves. Um, the super reader, which is the one that we give the badge to, we have a super reader. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody's read 100 books. Um, they do have to complete the challenge, however that looks. Um, whether we've, we've reduced the number of books. I, I always found it very, very difficult that I'd have one child in grade six who would come in and tackle Lord of the Rings. And they'd be reading that for a whole term and they'd have one book. I found that really hard when somebody else has just read the whole series of Diary of a Wimpy Kid and has got seven books on there. And I just, that always made me feel a little uncomfortable with it. So now with this new system, I actually have the ability to say, well, I think Lord of the Rings, if you're really having a go at that, I think that's worth four books at least, if not five. So I can dial down the number of books that they have to read so that one book can effectively equal four or three or two. I can have, I've had children that have haven't picked up a book since probably grade two that are in grade six. Now for that, regardless of what the level is, they have actually come in and they've chosen that book themselves then I think that in itself should be worth more than just one. So the, the ability of this new system is that I can make this work as my students need. So the, and there's other kids that will come in and they've read the Diary of the Wimpy Kid series last year and they've read it the year before and they've read it the year before and so I put their level up. So I can say, no, 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 if you're going to read those, that's fine, but you know those ones well and I know that there's a benefit in rereading the same book but there's also a benefit in choosing something a little bit more challenging. So I can dial those up to say, I think you need an extra five books on your challenge. Let's go. And most of them actually love that because my challenge is more. <laughs> so, and it's their challenge. It's all about the individual there. We do, we do have wonderfully competitive teachers. I don't encourage that at all. <laughs> Who say, nope, we're going to get the whole, whole class to finish this year. We're going to get our whole class to reach 100 books. And then they want to do it before everybody else. And I don't stop that. <laughs> I know it's an individual thing, but the, getting the teachers on board is a really important thing as well. So I've also encouraged the, the teachers to take on their challenge. So that the teachers up on their wall have a challenge list themselves and how many books that they have actually read. Obviously, we can't put it on any system or anything of the sort, but it's great for the kids to see that the teachers want to get involved in it as well. So they come in, they show the book that it's at their standard, and, and off we go. Okay, I'm finishing. <laughs> okay. So the the last bit, very quickly, the last bit um, is that um, the PRC advisory committee. So I went to Kerry and said, "How do you get onto that? Because I really want to know why it is that we've got some books on there and how that that choice comes around." And really, it is just a, a matter of people who are excited by the challenge, who can see the benefit in it, and want to come along and help out. Now, we actually are looking for more people on there. We try to have a nice blend. We have got secondary school, we've got private, uh, secondary school and primary school. I don't think we've got anybody from early learning. I think no. We have. no, we haven't. Uh, we've, got, um, we've got somebody from the state library. We have somebody from public libraries. We have representation from um, independent schools. We have them from the government schools. So we're trying to have a nice blend. But of course, after last year, a lot of people have sort of dissipated out of there and we are actually looking for some new people. So if you are interested in that at all, by all means, please come and have a chat to me. I can tell you from the grassroots how it works. These lovely ladies know how from the systems it works. Um, generally, we get sent out books from the publishers. They come to Kerry. Kerry sends them out to us. 
a few at a time during the year. And we have two big get-togethers where we sit around and, oh, we don't sit there and laugh a lot or anything of the sort. It's all very, very serious and very productive. Um, but one of the best things is there that, that the kids in this system had the opportunity to actually say, this book should be on the challenge. And then Kerry will send out to all the people who are actually selectors, say, have you read any of these? Do you think these should be going on? Um, my, my opinion is if the kids have taken the time and they've read the book and they think it's worthy, then we've got an obligation to actually try and get those on the challenge or not, as the case may be. I think one of the first ones I actually chose, um, two people came in and I, I was sitting there very fresh and brand new and knees knocking and hoping that they wouldn't realise that I just somehow ingratiated myself in this committee and I really didn't know what I was doing there. Um, when somebody said, oh, what a ridiculous book this is. There's a tiger in a tree. How silly is that? No, that's rubbish. It's not going on the challenge. Somebody else turned around and said, actually, I think that's a really good book. I really liked it. I thought it was really sweet. So the first person turns around and says, here, and throws the book across the table at me and says, get your teeth into that and tell me what you think of that. <laughs> Fantastic. One of these people is going to hate me for the rest of the time that I'm on this committee. I'm going to come agree with one or I'm going to agree with the other. So trying to put my hat on there, being very impartial. And I said, well, look, I think the illustrations are actually looking at, uh, aimed towards uh, a younger student, a prep to two, but the literature, the way they've put the words together looks like it's three to four, so I don't think it actually blends together terribly well. Now, one of the criteria we have is, does this, will this encourage a love of reading? Will this um, have a target market? At the end of it, most of the group looked around and they sort of said, yeah, I can see what you're saying in it, and we decided not to put it on. We got that one wrong. Well, I got that one wrong because it ended up being the biggest selling book that year. <laughs> Children's, it was um, Rancy's book, The Tiger's Tale, or something of the sort, with um, uh, the Richmond player, his name, Alex Rance. Yeah, and it was the it was the biggest selling one. I still stand by the fact that I don't think it should be there, but yeah, that's okay. <laughs> it encourages a love of reading, and that's the real important bit. It doesn't reach a target mark. We do actually have criteria that we have to meet. So. Would love it if some of you come and have a chat to me about how you come come along and, and take part in these um, sessions on the committee of the selection panel because it's it's a really worthwhile thing and it's all there supporting our kids. Finish Just up there. one thing, sorry, um, where it says EduMail should say education. <laughs> the email address hasn't been updated. Sorry. Hold on. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, please thank Kerry, Rosemary and Annette. That was very informative and I'm sure that we'll all be looking up the websites to find out more. Thank you very much. Kerry.